Welcome to the Cutting the Gordian Knot podcast. Today we're going to talk about universal health care and healthcare savings accounts. Now, I've said many times on this podcast that I am not a fan of universal health care, and I know that this idea is gaining steam even in Catholic circles. I think most people think it's more compassionate. Um, a lot of people look at other countries and see their lower cost of care, and uh, they like the fact that anybody uh, can, can be cared for without fear of bankruptcy. Um, and I agree, those are great features, sure, but there's a lot better ways to get good outcomes, um, a lot more um, inexpensive ways, ways which will promote quality not just today but over the long term, and I think these ought to be preferred. Um, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is, the compassion of the ignorant is cruelty. So I don't care if you're compassionate. Like, that's that's great that you are, but unless that's actually paired with a real um, understanding of the issues at play, then your compassion can backfire and backfire brutally. Um, and I think universal health care commonly does. It can stagnate uh, the increase in, in, um, in advancement in care. It can cause waiting times, uh, it caps, um, all sorts of really bad consequences. So don't let your feelings about the sick influence your thinking about the solution for this problem. All right, so I'll be reading a, an article which is, um, it was originally a proposal to the Virginia government um, about uh, how to solve some healthcare issues. It's one of, I think, three or four articles, and I've read one before, and uh, that one was about ending the certificate of need laws. And I do invite you to listen to that one again if you haven't already, particularly if you're interested in the healthcare problem we have. And trust me, it's a problem. But before I read that article, I, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork. Um, I'm going to steal this one from my main man, Milton Friedman. Uh, he describes, and I'm not sure it's in uh, the, um, the context of healthcare. It may have been. But think of a, a box. So just a simple four by four grid um, is inside. Now, in the first column, we have um, uh, your benefit. And then on the column next to it, to the right, it says someone else's benefit. Um, then on the first row, it says uh, your cost. And then on the second row, it says someone else's cost, right? So if you can, I don't know, write that down, hold it in your mind, do what you need to do, that generates four different options. Um, in the top left box, we have... I get the benefit and I bear the cost. So an example of that would be I go down to the local sandwich shop, I look over the menu, and I know that whatever sandwich I get, I will be the one eating, and whichever one I buy, I'll be the one paying for. Um, if you move one box to the right, we have um, my cost, somebody else's benefit. So that would be like you bring your friend to the sandwich shop and say, hey, buddy, this one's on me. What do you want to get? And he thinks to himself, well, I get to eat the sandwich, but this other guy has to, uh, has to pay for it, all right? Um, <clears throat> the next boxes are if the, we move down and we start at the left again, we have um, my benefit but we have someone else's cost. That would be if it's the reverse scenario of what I just described. Your friend tells you, hey man, I got this sandwich, I'll pay for it. Well now, 
you get the sandwich and someone else bears the cost. Whereas the other time it was someone else gets the sandwich and you bear the cost. And then the final box is someone else's benefit and someone else's cost. That's like somebody else is covering the cost of somebody else's sandwich. Now, how exactly are the incentives aligned in each one of these? Well, there's two things going on. If you're the one who benefits, you care about quality. But if you're the one who's paying, you care about cost. So in the first option, um, you care about a good price because you're paying, and you care about a high-quality product because you'll be the one experiencing it. So if all market participants were these types of consumers, well, then the market would be forced to um, to supply high-quality and low-cost goods, be that sandwiches or even healthcare. Um, so this one would be the healthcare savings account model, where individual people are given uh, sums of money to individually demand things that they benefit from from the healthcare sector. And I think that if you if you look at this honestly, we can all admit that all other considerations aside, um, this set of incentives would be the best and it would deliver the best outcomes of combined price and quality. Um, now, you may disagree from here ab about some other considerations, but at very least, I think this should be a core feature of any healthcare solution because ultimately it's incentives which shape these outcomes in the economic sphere, or really in most any sphere. So what does our current uh, model look like? Well, ours is a mess for about a thousand reasons, but it's roughly an insurance model. So the insurance model would be the, uh, the box directly to the right from the one that I just described. And in that box, we have somebody else paying, right, your insurance company, and we have you benefiting. So if you're there at the sandwich shop and somebody else is paying, I mean, sure, social norms will, you know, prevent you from, you know, milking your friend for all he's worth and buying a crazy expensive sandwich. Um, however, if it's your insurance company or something like that or the government paying, most people don't have such moral qualms. So they're going to demand everything that they possibly want. Um, so the price is going to go through the roof because somebody else is bearing it. And um, the quality is going to be very high. So no surprise, in the United States, the quality of care is very high and the price is also very high. Um, now, I can already hear a, a little objection um, squeaking from the background. Oh, but wait, our outcomes aren't really great. Um, I would actually challenge you on that one. One of the common ones is um, people look at infant mortality rates and we actually count those differently from Europe. So if you do apples to apples, yes, we're, we're very competitive in that. Um, cancer treatment is, I think, another one that's brought up. Um, and we do lead the world in cancer treatment. Um, and whenever you're looking at that, you do need to look into early detection. So, for instance, for breast cancer, we have a ton of early detection services, which aren't typically had um, by uh, by other groups. So our survivability is is admittedly higher because we find more uh, mild cases. So all that said, still, um, I think that a very good case could be made that we have um, some of the highest quality care um, now, there's other things at play which make our, our care worse. For instance, those certificate of need laws. I think we'd be way higher if we got rid of these silly monopolies. But 
we give pretty much as many resources as they could possibly soak up. Um, so the resources part of the equation is not holding back quality. All right, so um, let's look at uh, let's look at the other box before we get to the one all the way to the um, the bottom right. In that one, it's your cost and someone else's benefit. Now, this one isn't a typical insurance model because first one we had you paying, the other one we had your insurance paying. This one would kind of be like a charity. So you're covering a sick person's expenses. Now, you don't necessarily care that they get the, the world's most amazing care. Maybe you do because you're a nice person. But if you're not actually benefiting, the raw incentives say that you don't care that much about quality. You care more about uh, price. Um, and I mean, I think that's that's fair enough. I, I I think part of the answer is private charity. I think that's important. And it used to be the case that we had a lot of this. Um, doctors used to go to um, to free clinics and give free care to the poor, um, as did nurses, other hospital staff. And we crowded that out by doing giant government programs like Medicaid. So we squashed this last box to a great extent. And uh, I think if we removed again the insurance model, uh, or at least vastly reduced it so that people were covering their own cost, I think charity would start to emerge again. We're in the most charitable nation um, on earth, at, that is if you're like me and in the United States. So um, don't just write this box off. It historically has been a, uh, it's been a big factor. All right, moving on to our last box. Um, key the uh, key the piano music, you know, the doom doom doom. This is my least favorite box, and it should be yours too. It's also the one which maps perfectly onto universal health care. This is money is spent for somebody else's benefit, and it's somebody else's money that's being spent, right? So we have no incentive to lower cost and no incentive to increase quality. It's the exact opposite of the first box that I think we would all agree would be good. So it's true that we, we, if we have a bunch of bureaucrats who are tasked with keeping costs low, well, maybe they can end up spending less money than the insurance model. I mean, I suppose. Um, but we're not going to have those granular trade-offs that we would have if, if people were allowed to express their own economic preferences um, in the healthcare market, uh, just because they plain old don't have the knowledge. So they're going to have to set arbitrary caps, um, limits. They're going to have to deny care at certain times in order to keep the overall cost down. Um, so what box do you think is best? Like, be honest here. Don't we want the incentives to um, promote low-cost, high-quality care? If so, that's the exact opposite of universal health care. And uh, this isn't just shilling for the current system. It's not. I, I spent the second part of this bashing the insurance model. There's problems there. All right. Um, but let's get a little bit more into the insurance model because there's different uh, types of insurance and some are better than others. So imagine that uh, your friend brings you out to lunch and says, hey, man, uh, I'll buy lunch today, um, but I'm only going to cover the first $10. Well, at that point, you'll say, well, I guess I could get something that only cost $7, but um, hey, it's no different to get um, a $10 meal out of pocket for me, so if there's any more quality with a $10 one, I'll get that. 
And in fact, I already planned on spending about eight. So maybe I still will spend eight and um, get an $18 meal for the price of $8. That's, that's an attractive option. Um, and it's also possible I'll just kind of split the difference and say, well, I'll just spend $14 for a mine and 10 of his. So um, the marginal dollar is one that's covered by you. So in that case, um, the incentives aren't awful, but the problem is there's kind of a baseline of you will spend at least this much money. So even if there was something that, um, you know, cost-benefit-wise would have been more attractive, say, at that $8 level, um, you probably won't choose it. You're just going to go for the one uh, up to 10 that provides you the most um, the most benefit, irrespective of its difference from that, that first option, which would have been the best blend. So this has its problems, um, but that's not typically how insurance works. It typically works the opposite, where it's like your friend goes out to eat and says, hey, man, um, you cover the first $10 for your meal. I'll cover everything after that. Well, now the marginal cost for adding on to your meal is zero out of pocket. So what are you going to do? Well, I mean, maybe if you're really broke or you have a lot of other places you want to spend your money, you'll, you'll just turn down the offer and say, it's fine, I'll just spend $5 on my lunch because I don't even want to spend 10 But it is certainly attractive to say, well, I'll spend my 10 and then after that, since I've already spent my 10 I'm not just going to demand $11 of lunch. I'm going to demand like $150. Bring on the caviar and the champagne and everything. It's somebody else paying. I'll just cover 10 bucks. Um, even if it's just a partial amount, let's say a, a 80-20 match or a, or a 10-90 match, still that marginal cost is um, wildly different than what you would have experienced if you were spending your own money. And in each one of these scenarios, we find that what you would have chosen, um, spending your own money um, to match your unique uh, desired blend of quality and price, um, is wildly distorted in the, in the presence of a third-party payer, um, which means if we all do this, the aggregate is a different amount of quality and a different amount of cost than what society would have uh, demanded in aggregate which I think means that it's a failure of an overall system. Um, now, it's true that healthcare um, insurance does have its place, but it's certainly not for these routine things like would be analogous to lunch. Instead, it should be for truly catastrophic things, the equivalent of your house burning down where you have fire insurance. Um, that doesn't really massively change your your day-to-day thought about how to deal with fire. If you see it, you'll still put it out. Um, so I, I think that the catastrophic injury insurance is, is still a pretty good idea. Um, and it actually makes a very good pairing to a healthcare savings account because the big worry with that is that you run out. Um, so that can, uh, that can fill in the gap if you do. So with all of that in mind, let's move on to... Um, Let's move on to the article. The theory. No one spends somebody else's money as carefully as they spend their own. Also, individual people make the best choices for their particular circumstances. These choices are in line with their unique set of priorities. Also, insurance by its very nature shifts financial risk from one party to another. In markets where government has, through law, regulation, and subsidy 
increase the prevalence of insurance, the market can become heavily distorted due to excess risk transfer. All right, the problems. Healthcare savings accounts in Virginia, which is the audience I was, I was writing to here, uh, get a worse tax treatment than health insurance. Insurance is usually purchased by employers with pre-tax dollars. A Virginia HSA, on the other hand, is only deductible up to $3,500 per person per year at the time of writing this article. This is not very helpful considering the average yearly healthcare expenditure is about $10,000. So this is tantamount to giving a subsidy to insurance vis-a-vis the HSA. In, uh, employers buy insurance on the employee's behalf and negotiate for a blend of features and pricing options that don't always match the ideal blend that an employee would like. Also, I'd like to point out that Medicare and Medicaid offer no incentive for thrift on the part of the participants. And the insurance model is not ideal for all who are under that program. Also, within most all price-sharing setups in health insurance, the marginal dollar, which just means the next dollar which is spent, is covered by the insurance company. This leads to overconsumption and leads to defensive medicine. The incentives for saving money are non-existent or at least greatly diminished. And finally, most health insurance companies have in and out of network providers. The rules are complex and confining. A surgeon may be out of a network while working in a hospital that's in a network. Consequently, out-of-network charges may apply. Such complication, which is inherent to the insurance model, increases the financial risk of seeking care and thereby can deter people from getting the services that they need and even the preventive services that could reduce costs and increase um, uh, the, the, the lifespan and the, um, the health of that individual over the long term. So here's what I suggest, basically the bill. All citizens that receive health insurance from their employer, from Medicare, or from Medicaid programs may request the actuarial weighted value of the plan that they are receiving to be deposited into an HSA of their choice at the beginning of the coverage date. All HSAs will be treated with the same tax status as health insurance. And here's the result. People will be spending their own money to purchase health care. Coupled with listed prices at healthcare providers, the market will be forced to become more efficient. And that is actually a reference to another article, which is arguing for list prices for healthcare. And by the way, isn't it insane that those don't exist? What other possible market just says, oh, the price? Um, well, well, we'll tell you after, we buy, after you buy it. Uh, how could we possibly know? <laughs> That's ridiculous. And of course, would would need to be changed. Um. Also, for young and healthy people, money would accrue, and it would generate tax-free interest within the account. The compounding effect would generate an exponential curve in resources that matches, or in many cases, will exceed the exponentially exponentially higher average expenses as one ages. Now, I've actually done some... um, some math on this one. I have a, a spreadsheet where I, I look at a couple of different um, assumptions. But the long and short of it is, if you had a healthcare savings account that deposited $4,000 um, in your account every single year 
from the time I believe you were 18, uh, maybe it was from the time you were born, let's just say from the time you were born, uh, until the time that you die, then the $4,000 per year accruing interest and deducting the normal um, the normal costs, which are associated with people of given ages, um, would actually result in an unbelievable balance at the end of the uh, at the end of your life that you could pass down, and uh, it's actually great enough to cover your kids' lifetime um, medical costs, which is unbelievable. Um, people don't believe me that. $4,000 in an HSA if allowed to um, accrue interest. And I think I, I set it around 7%. So that would be, you know, um, largely stocks and things like that. Um, yeah, that $4,000 a year, if if um, if it's subject to that, that rate of return or anything like it, will cover an average of $10,000 of expenses per year per person. That sounds like voodoo, but but it's actually true because although it's $10,000 a year on average in expenses, almost all of that cost comes at the end of one's life. So the initial $4,000 that somebody could receive um, for an HSA, let's say when, when they were young, well, that might have, I don't know, 50, 60, maybe even 70 years to be bearing interest. And if it was... Uh, bearing interest, say, for uh, for 70 years, and it began just that one year at 4000 then the initial 4000 at, let's say, the, the first year would cover, oh, quick math right now, rule the 72 says if you take the number 72, you divide it by the interest rate, let's say 7%, um, then it gives you the amount of uh, years until it doubles. So let's just round that and say 7%. Um, then we'll use 70, so it will double every 10 years at that interest rate. And now we have uh, 70 years, so that's seven doubles. So it'd be four going into um, eight, eight into 16, then 32, then 64, then 128, then 256, then, oh, what's the one after that, 256? People who know computers will know this because these all are, are computery type numbers. Um, yeah, so, so then it's going to 500 and whatever, 1,000. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. So that's a great way for us to reduce our, our, uh, our health care burden. Just start saving early and allow compound interest to meet compound uh, or to meet exponentially higher expenses towards the end of life. All right. Also, for those that want insurance like they had before, well, that would still be available. Again, they have the actuarial weighted value of their insurance up front at the beginning of the year. They can purchase any plan that suits their needs best. I think that this is an important um, feature. If we we really pushed everything to an, a healthcare savings account model, um, that means that everybody who wants to retain their, their normal insurance, well, they could do that. They would just go ahead and purchase that themselves. The reason why I'm saying the actuarial weighted value is we're not just giving, um, you know, just any amount. We're going to look at their age and their health and how much would it be to purchase them insurance. 
and then give them the, the amount that would have been paid on their behalf. So, of course, even if they're sick, they can still buy insurance. They would just receive a larger amount in their HSA than, say, somebody that's healthy. All right. Finally, um, direct payment bypasses all of the cost of using an insurance company. Now, people think insurance companies make like this massive profit margin. Uh, that's really not true. Um, in fact, all these numbers are public. You can look those up. They make a pretty modest, normal profit margin. Um, it, I'd say that if they were making around 6% or something, that would probably be normal, though I'd have to double check that. They're not making money hand over fist, but that doesn't mean that they don't have very high costs. Um, they do. They employ a lot of people. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, some of it adds value, but um, not all of it, I think, really does. I, th I think a lot of it exists because of subsidies and mandates, not because um, the market actually believes that they're, they're creating mass amounts of value. Um, but again, if they are, and if people received funds in their HSAs, then they could purchase the insurance if they thought that it was worth it. Oh, and I guess there's one more point under the, the pros here. Um, people could link their accounts and they could build groups. Um, and of course they could, um, they could combine it with those catastrophic, um, insurance plans and uh, come up with all sorts of great ways to, to mitigate risk. So right now, if you have an awesome insurance um, plan and your best friend or your spouse, or well, maybe not your spouse, they're probably covered, but let's say your mother um, gets sick, you can't say, oh, here, why don't you borrow some of my healthcare plan? Well, no, you can't do that. Like that type of charity is not possible. Remember, I kind of began this with those uh, preliminary remarks and said that charity is important in this space for more than just economic reasons, for moral ones, to teach us how to love one another. And this gives us the ability to do so. There's nothing that would stop you from being able to cover other people's costs with your healthcare savings account. Um, I think this would be amazing. I mean, I, for one, am young and healthy, and if I had an HSA this whole time, it probably would have a ton of money. And um, I would be more than happy to um, to give some of that excess to somebody who is in need. Now, we already see people with GoFundMe pages and whatnot covering all sorts of expenses for others out of the goodness of their heart. Um, that's awesome. And this would just be one more tool um, that people could care for their neighbor with. Um, I could certainly imagine families kind of linking some of these accounts together so that if one person gets hit really big with an expense, well... It's kind of blunted because everybody can take that blow. Everybody can share a bit. Um, so there's a lot of creative things that could happen after this took place. Um, and I'm not sure I could foresee them all. Um, and, and I'll add one more thing that's not in the article, but I think should be brought up. This can be used for novel types of preventative care. For instance, um, I could I could see covering gym memberships and things like that um, as a valid use of healthcare savings account dollars because there's pretty strong evidence that exercise can reduce the over amount of uh, lifetime uh, medical bills. So that might be a great way to do it, and this gives people the ability to uh, to fund those things. So the bottom line: markets work in generating value when prices carry information. Having almost exclusively third-party payments in between consumers and producers block many of these price signals that would have efficient, efficiently allocated healthcare resources. 
Healthcare savings accounts often grow to be hundreds of thousands of dollars over a lifetime. This healthcare savings account law may seem like a small change, but it's not. The effect on healthcare would be profound. Suppliers would be for forced for the first time to make a compelling case for the cost and benefits of every transaction. And people would grow wealth in these accounts and have strong incentives to stay healthy. And here's a few frequently asked questions and objections. First one, well, what if somebody doesn't want an HSA? Answer, then they stick with the insurance option. Under this law, people are given the dollar value of the policy only if they choose. Response two, what if someone gets the HSA, blows all the money, and then gets really sick? Answer, then they go to any hospital, and according to current law, they must receive life-saving care regardless of the ability to pay. That's the law today. Ongoing healthcare savings account deposits would then be used to pay down any debt accrued. In the future, they may opt for insurance, and if the issue bringing them to the hospital is continuous, then the HSA funds would grow to match the need, since again, the HSA represents the dollar amount for the cost to insure that particular person for that year. And that cost would now include the cost of the ongoing treatment, right? So if, um, if you have cancer and your insurance company says, oh my goodness, he has cancer, that's going to be a lot to insure it, then the premiums are going to be higher. And under this plan where you can take the cash value, be it from an employer covering that cost or the government covering the cost, then you would simply get the cost of, um, of uh, a, an insurance policy that expects that they're going to have to cover cancer um, payments. And that would be deposited in the form of um, you know, money at the beginning of the year in your HSA. So it wouldn't be that you wouldn't be able to cover that. So any type of new conditions that would have affect your insurance premium would also affect the value of your HSA such that you can pay it. Next, don't a lot of HSAs have a use it or lose it feature? Answer, unfortunately so, but this law allows for people to deposit the worth of their coverage in the HSA of their choice. And I can't imagine many people would choose an arrangement like this when all options are open to them. Um, I think it's ridiculous and foolish and silly um, to have HSAs with a, a lose-it feature. That's, that's just like naked theft. Um, response number four. What if the HSA becomes very large and people want to withdraw the money? Well, under current law, this is possible albeit with some tax consequences. And um, there are already some provisions to roll this, um, these excess funds into retirement accounts. Um, and that's something that, uh, that I think needs to be brought up too. That, that's a big perk. I mean, if we moved our overall system, be it Social Security to Medicare, Medicaid, all these other things, and state-level programs into cash directed by individuals in accounts, um, albeit, you know, restricted accounts so that it can't just be used for anything. Um, well, then th these can be transferred one to another. Right now, nobody has incentive to save their Medicaid dollars because, well, they don't get them. They don't benefit from thrift. But if that same amount of funds were, were paid in the form of an HSA, um, well, then in this case, they would have an incentive to be thrifty because maybe their retirement account is looking a little weak. Well, if you find a way to drive down your medical costs, you could shift that into another account. Um, and even we could see a scenario where 
um, if you wanted to take some of your retirement because you already had a lot from your job and you wanted to beef up your HSA because uh, you were dealing with a bunch of ongoing uh, medical costs or maybe you had a series of elective surgeries that you wanted to take care of, um, then that would be possible. So I see that as just another benefit and that's not really a thing under a pension plan, be it private or public or under a uh, insurance model. So you may have noticed I didn't spend a lot of time bashing universal health care and I didn't get into specific uh, cases too much. I like to keep things universal so that they can be universally applied to more than just the specific problem we're talking about. Um, also, oftentimes it's, it's better to present an, an alternative option than to just bash the one that you don't like. If the choice was between the American system with all of its terrible flaws and the insurance model and the subsidies and the monopolies and this and that and a really well-run universal healthcare system, well, that's a tighter one. Um, I could understand why people would want the universal system. Um, I think I'd still come down on the side of I'd prefer the American one. But, you know, that's a more reasonable argument. When it becomes unreasonable is when I can present this case with the HSAs, with removing con laws, with having transparent pricing. If I put a, a free market uh, option on the table, uh, no, that blows everything away. And if you think it's unrealistic for me to make those small changes, like allow people to request their coverage amount in the form of an HSA, that's a really small change. If you think that's unrealistic, then what are you smoking with this whole universal health care thing, a full-scale government takeover of insurance, of hospitals, of all sorts of things? No, that's a much bigger, more profound, more radical change. Um, so I think, I think my suggestions here should serve as the... Um, uh, should serve as the foil and not the uh, the current system. If you can imagine your ideal one, then I can imagine mine. Um, as far as places where something like I'm describing is in place, I believe both um, Singapore and Hong Kong, I, certainly Singapore, uses healthcare savings accounts. Um, it's actually funded by the government, and there's also a catastrophic coverage um, um, uh, which who's it? Um, that policy, I guess, that's covered by the government, and it seems to work very well. At the time that I wrote the article, and I haven't looked at it um, recently, some healthcare rankings put them as the number two um, best healthcare in the world, uh, right below Hong Kong, I think. Which again, I think has a similar system. I uh, have to double check on that. If you're listening and you know, email me uh, the Gordian Knot one hundred and one at gmail dot com. But nevertheless, one of the best healthcare systems in the world, um, and, and it's following a similar model to what I'm saying. But what about cost? Because that's another very important component. I mean, we're up to, I think, oh, 17% of all our uh, dom uh, gross domestic product is channeled into the healthcare system. Like, really? That's That seems ridiculous. It's never been that high in the history of our nation. Um, well... As a percentage of per capita GDP, um, people in Singapore spend one-seventh. Did you catch that? One-seventh of the amount that an American does as a percentage of per capita GDP. Meaning 
they have, by all measures that I've seen, much better health care. In fact, some of the best in the world, and they spend a seventh what we do. Do they do that through uh, socialized universal um, health care? No, they don't. They do it through a free market system like I described. So why not just copy Singapore's? Shouldn't that be on the table? It's certainly better than what the UK does, what Canada does, what France does. Um, but I don't hear that being discussed, and it really should be. Well, since we did a mailbag episode for our bonus episode on Wednesday, and um, we did cover some kind of questions and objections here, we're going to skip the mailbag. Um, let's see. Um, just a reminder, Pat Flynn's coming on the show soon. That's next week. So send in your questions for Pat Flynn. They can be fitness, philosophy, or um, as usual, uh, filterless questions, which uh, can range um, from any topic that the mind can possibly imagine. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, and if you have friends, and if you like sharing, share it with your friends. And if you didn't enjoy it, share it with your enemies. And I'll see you next time.